them. Okay, this morning we continue our series in the book of Colossians, Thrive in Colossians, and today we're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, so invite you to grab your Bible and find Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Um, we have some extra Bibles. In, in, if you would like a Bible, just slip up your hand and we'll have somebody bring you a Bible. One of the, we encourage you to grab one coming in if you don't have one, it's on the table. Anybody who, who would like a copy of the scriptures to read? In 2004, Tom Hanks made a movie called The Terminal. The story was about a man who was trying to enter the United States while en route uh, to New York City. His uh, country um, was overthrown, and he, he no longer had a legal home, a legal country, and in the movie, his documentation was no longer valid. Uh, so he ends up living in, the term, in a terminal at an airport in New York City. Anybody see that movie? Okay, a couple of you did. The real-life story that inspired the movie is even more bizarre than the movie. In 1988, an Iranian refugee named Mehran Karimi Nasseri, not necessarily really pronounced that way, but that seemed the easiest way for me. Uh, he, uh, was, uh, he landed in Paris at the Charles de Gaulle airport, and he was uh, on his way to London. Before he boarded the plane, his uh, briefcase was stolen, and he lost his legal documentation. The French didn't know what to do with him, so they let him fly on to London, even though he didn't have legal documentation to be in France. And when he got to London, the English didn't want him without legal documentation, so they put him on a plane so he could go back to Paris. Uh, the French let Mehran stay in the airport in Terminal 1. Uh, he lived in the terminal off of handouts and care packages from airport employees. He wrote in his diary and he studied economics and he cleaned bathrooms unofficially. And employees appreciated that and uh, they helped uh, care for him. After 11 years, in 1999, Mehran was offered residency by the French government. This was a solution to the situation. And they offered him an international travel card. He was free to leave and to go wherever he wanted. When the authorities gave him uh, travel papers, Mehran smiled and took the papers and put them in a file folder because he had quite a stash of luggage by now and newspapers and everything that he wanted to read. And so he just put it in uh, a file. The airport officials discovered that Mehran was afraid to leave. He was afraid to leave the airport. He was afraid to leave his bench and his table where he had made his home, think about this, for 11 years. This is a true story. Seven years later, in 2006, Mehran was forced to leave because of health issues, and he was hospitalized. 
French government decided this might be a prime time to take action. And so when Mehran got out of the hospital, they helped him relocate to um, a shelter in Paris. And uh, the last report I saw was 2010, and he was still there. Um, and there's no record of his death yet. Uh, for Mehran, he didn't want to leave what he had known to be home. He didn't want to leave what had been comfortable to him. He didn't want to leave his old way of doing things. For him, change was very hard. When someone becomes a follower of Christ, there are some major changes that must take place. There's an old life and a new life. The old life, the self-life, is to be left behind. And the new life, uh, the the Christ-centered life, is now to be embraced. And that's what the Apostle Paul brings to us this morning in Colossians chapter 3. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3. I want to start with uh, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. First thing I want us to see in this passage uh, that Paul would tell us is keep focused on Christ in verses 1 through 4. Keep focused on Christ. You have an outline in your program if you'd like to follow along. Uh, It sometimes helps us stay focused if we take notes. Um, But maybe you don't need to do that. Or maybe you don't want to stay focused. Keep focused on Christ because uh, it's so easy to lose your focus on Christ. You can start with a focus on Christ and it's just so easy to slip off the path or to get sidetracked, um, to become a little bit confused. And Paul just comes out and reminds us, he says, set your hearts on things above in verse 1. Set your hearts on things above. Paul is speaking to believers in Jesus, to those who have placed their faith in Christ, who have understood uh, that they're sinners, that Jesus died on the cross, that he paid the price for sin. They've, they've received that message as true and trusted Jesus by faith. They've trusted a person, not a set of rules or a doctrinal system, but they've trusted Jesus who died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and he's alive. That's Jesus. And Paul reminds us to keep our focus on Christ. Why? Paul gives us two reasons to keep our focus on Christ. And first, uh, he says, you've been raised with Christ. This is a new position. You've been raised with Christ. Now, Paul has already brought this up in chapter 2. Let me read this. Chapter 2, verse 9. We've already talked about this. But Paul says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So we have already been given everything we need in Christ. That's what all of the resources we need to live a life that God wants us to live. The resources have been given to us and are available for us. Then in verse 12, he says, Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Having been raised with him. 
This is a, uh, a spiritual position. Jesus was raised from the dead. A resurrection, a real resurrection, a bodily resurrection. When we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, He raised us up with Him in a new position in Christ. He took you out of the world and He placed you, immersed you, baptized you into the body of Christ, and you are now in Christ. It's a spiritual position. In fact, you can't see it, it's invisible. You are a member of the body of Christ. And I'm talking about the body of Christ that began in Acts chapter 2 that exists to this very day. All those who have come to believe, and it will include those who have yet to believe, and we have a position in Christ. You can't see it. You don't even experience it. It's true. It's a position. It's part of the gift of your salvation. It's just one little detail of your salve, your eternal salvation. So, uh, you've been raised with Christ. That's your position. That's where you belong. Um, one day heaven is going to be your home. You already have citizenship there. And so, Paul is saying, keep your eyes on things above, up there. Keep your focus there. The second reason is it's where Christ is seated. Um, that seems pretty easy and pretty logical, but Jesus is not a dead Savior. He's alive. He's seated at the right hand of God, and it was God's power who raised him from the dead. And it's God's power that's available to us as a resource right now. And we need to keep our eyes focused on our resources, focused on priorities that come from above. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, passage we've looked at already, but let me just, it's 4 through 6. But because of his great love for us, and we sang about that love this morning. Oh, how he loves us. Because, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. We're not, we're supposed to be alive to Christ, spiritually alive. Um, in relationship with Christ. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. There was nothing about us that could pull this off. It was Christ who made us alive. That's where our focus needs to be. It is by grace you've been saved. And, here it is again, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's our position in Christ. Okay? I don't mind a little redundancy because we don't get this stuff very easily. Um, it's a position we have. It's where our focus needs to be to set our hearts on things above. Um, to be intentional. To plan to set your hearts on things above. Um, to give the energy of your life on things above. Um, to set your hearts on Jesus first of all. The Apostle Paul has already in Colossians chapter 1 uh, clarified for us the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all of the universe, in all of God's universe. Jesus is number one. He is preeminent. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants for us. He wants Jesus to be preeminent in our lives. Um, his goals 
It, the, the idea is that his goal become our goals. I pursue his values, his kingdom values, uh, the life that he described, the life that the New Testament prescribes for us is to put uh, my personal kingdom under his kingdom. And my personal kingdom is just my life and my stuff. And I can live my life. God has given all of us a lot of stuff in life that we can use and enjoy and appreciate and say thank you for. But they come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, under his priority system. And life can be great to enjoy what he gives us. So he says, set your hearts on things above. Right into verse 2, set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above. That's about striving. It's about the life, your life energy. It's about pursuit. Set your minds on things above is... Uh, more about what you think about what's in your mind Uh, back it's very similar but it's uh, the focus is really more narrow Colossians chapter 2 set your minds on things above not on earthly things for you for you died and your life is hidden with God hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you shall also appear with him in glory Uh, Why should you set your minds on things above? First of all, it keeps your primary focus away from earthly things. Earthly things, material stuff, things that belong in the realm of this world. Most of them are not bad in and of themselves. Most of them are things that just for us to use and to appreciate. And they can be used for good. The danger is, is when our focus comes down to this is what's important and this is what all there is, and I'm in a kind of a rat race or whatever we want to call it, and it's about what I accomplished or what I achieved or about what I have or it's about who I am, it's about what I've done, it's about what I own. That's when I I get confused and I begin to set my mind on things of the earth, on earthly things. So they're not bad in and of themselves, but uh, they can be. John 17, verses 14 through 17, Jesus said, I have given them, he's talking about his followers, he says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. This really important concept. He's saying, if you're a follower of Christ, you belong to a different world. Peter says you are a stranger and an alien and you're just passing through. So be careful about getting attached. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Sometimes we just like to escape. That'd be the easy thing. It's just to get out of here. You know, it'd be great if we could just go to heaven now sometimes when we get into stress. And uh, Jesus says, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. He wants us to stay here. And he wants us to be sanctified by truth. He wants us to be protected from evil by God. He wants us to be people of of the word. So set your mind on things above. Keep your primary focus away from earthly things. I I can get an accurate perspective of earthly things if I set my mind on Jesus' priorities. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the other stuff that's important, get in the right place and get provided. It's not all I want, it's all I need. It's about his priority system. I have a lot of important priorities in my life, don't you? I have a lot of things that I really have to take care of. I have to pay bills. I have to keep records, detailed records for the IRS. I have a job that I sometimes am responsible for. I I have to play golf sometimes too, you know. I think it's important to exercise. Uh, I'm married, and my wife sometimes wants my time. My kids think I should give them time periodically. Uh, In fact, this next week, my kids want me to give them some time. Um, It would be very easy just to say, and it's just easy, I get busy, I have a lot of things to do, they're important things, they're good things, and I just begin to lose my focus. And and I'm I'm just letting all these things take up my life, and pretty soon... Jesus sort of gets set on the back burner or just gets set aside. And Paul is saying, focus on Jesus. Bring him back. Let him be your priority. He's Lord. It's about aligning my life and my stuff under him. And I can take care of these things. A lot of them are good and important. But I make sure that I'm also taking care of the most important things and I'm in the most important relationship. And I don't know how to focus on Jesus if I'm not in his word. I don't know how to focus on Jesus if I'm not praying. I don't know how to focus on Jesus if I'm not thinking through my worldview when I encounter situations. They need to be processed through the filter of scripture. That's how I keep my focus on uh, Jesus. So, um, set your... Uh, minds on things above. It's a, pri- it's a primary f- focus away from earthly things. If I'm doing one, it, it really, if I'm focusing on Jesus, it really helps taking care of the problem of my focus on other things. And then he gives the reasons, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In verse 3, you've died and your life is now hidden with God. What's, what's that all about? Well, you know what? I have a relationship with Jesus. You believe me? you can't see it can you it's invisible I have a spiritual relationship with Christ I could fake it or I can be humble and seek to live out Christ now sometimes you can see Christ sometimes you have to take it by faith same is true if you are a follower of Christ you are connected to God through Jesus, and you are in Christ, in Christ's body. You are a member of the church, and it's spiritual. And you know what? There's an, it's an invisible connection. You, your life is hidden. It's not been revealed yet who you really are. It's not obvious to the whole world that you belong to Jesus. But that's going to change. Um, in... In verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden right now, but there's a time coming when it's going to change. When Jesus is revealed in glory, you're going to be revealed in glory. And it's going to be clear who you are and who you belong to and who you represent. And it will be in glory. But right now, it's invisible. Right now, it's hidden. 
And this is the life of faith. It's uh, what it means to follow Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's going to be a change coming, and one day you will be like Jesus when he appears. There's going to be a radical transformation, instant transformation. So, keep focused on Christ. That's what Paul says in the first four verses. Now let's go to verses 5 through 9. In here, uh, we want to remove the things that blur our focus on Christ. Remove the things that blur our focus on Christ. Now, if I thought this thing through, I would have a camera on the screen and we would make it blurry and then we would bring it into focus. I'm sorry, I just now thought of it. Look at verse 5. Verses 5 through 7, Put to death things that harm your walk with Christ. Put to death the things that harm your walk with Christ. And so he says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. That was your old life. So, put to death things that harm your walk with Christ. First, things that belong to your earthly nature. Uh, we just wanted those to come up once at, one at a time, but now that they're all up, let's just um, look at them and talk them through. Sexual immorality. Uh, I guess they're going to come up all together. Number one is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornea. You know what? It refers to all sexual activity outside a loving and commitment in married love. So it's just one of those really broad general terms. Sexual immorality. And you know what? We live in a world that's just loaded with the concept and the attraction and lifestyle of sexual immorality. Paul says, put it to death. The second one is impurity. It's another sexual connotation. I think they had as much trouble with sexual sin as we do today. It was just way different. They had a different culture. But it was still pretty significant. Impurity refers to impure thoughts, words, and actions. For example, viewing or imagining pornographic images would fit here. The impurity has the idea of unclean. Not honoring to God, but dishonoring God. Now, let me just stop and say, um, I, I just, I'll just say it. Uh, I've said it probably hundreds of times. Sex is a great thing. God designed it. It's a wonderful celebration in marriage. God has put boundaries on it. And he said, I bless you in this relationship. I want you to be committed to each other. I want you to be faithful to each other. I want this relationship to be safe and loving, and you enjoy it, okay? That's God's plan. He's not down on sex. He designed it, every detail of it. He said, go for it. But he put some boundaries on it. The third word on the list is lust. It's an uncontrolled desire. Lust is usually a sexual uh, issue. It also can be related to food or alcohol or drugs or something where we have an uncontrolled desire. Uh, 
Jesus uh, set the standards high. He said, you know, they were really worried in the Old Testament about committing adultery and uh, coveting somebody else's wife. And Jesus just raised the bar a little bit when it comes to sin. He said, even if you lust after a woman, even if you think in your mind and, and get involved sexually with another woman, he says, that's sin. Back in the day, promise, promise keepers did uh, a survey among the men who attended, most of them being Christian men. And it was like 78% admitted uh, struggle with pornography. It's a pretty real issue. Today, we'd probably say it's higher than that, even among Christians. Uh, pretty significant issue. Uh, the next uh, concept, evil desires, another catch-all description, desire to harm another, a desire to destroy, a desire to f- follow Satan. You know, we have people who think that way. They even openly wanted to follow Satan or an evil spirit. A desire to rebel against proper authority. All of this is a catch-all for evil desires. We have desires. God has created us with desires, and in and of themselves they can be good. The idea is that they just need to follow um, a God-honoring path to be fulfilled. The last one on the list is greed, which is also adultery. Greed is not being satisfied with what you have. It's wanting more and more of what you have enough of already. I think that's a great American description of greed. Wanting more and more of, like, I already got enough, but I don't, there's one more thing I want. Or maybe a lot more things. Um, and somehow this has to come under the lordship of Christ, our desires. A desire to accumulate more material things. It can be a desire to gain more attention, more personal achievements. Um, a desire to make something more important than God. And this is idolatry. That's why Paul says, which is idolatry. It's, it's just raising the value of something and it becomes first place. Even though we didn't realize it happened. It just slips up there and, and, when, and God comes down. And it's what we think about. It's what we want. It's the, it, we put our energy of life towards something like this. So, look at the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Paul says, put them to death. Do something. He's saying, eradicate them. Annihilate them. Kill them. This is different than how we often operate in Christianity. What we do in Christianity, modern-day Christians, we do sin management. I'm going to try to sin less this year. And we'll see how it goes. At the end of the year, we'll we'll evaluate. Most of us don't even evaluate. But we try to sin less. That's not what Paul had in mind. He didn't say, okay, try hard. He said, put it to death. Um, Why is this such a big deal? He said, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these, because of sexual immorality, because of impurity, uh, because of evil desires, because of lust, the wrath of God is coming. And... um, Sin is a big deal for God. And he's, promi- he's, been, he's patient, he's loving, he's merciful, he's provided a solution to sin, he's, he's provided justice, and um, 
right now he's just being patient with all of us. And he's clearly told us in Scripture, there's the day coming uh, when I will take care of all of these things. And I will judge sin. And we get confused we, we, about this sometimes, and we, and we take this too lightly because, we, oh, I'm going to heaven. It doesn't really matter how I live. Yes, it does. Yes, it does matter how we live. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Let me read uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You put to death the misdeeds. You put to death sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's something that requires intentionality. It's something that I, I don't want this. God, I want to eradicate it from my life. I'm going to be honest about it. This is where I struggle. This is what I need to do. God, and I admit I can't do it without you. And God, I want your strength. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to overcome this. Put it to death. It's a choice. It's not just trying to sin less. It's that Scripture says, put it to death. Um, These are... uh, Things that belong to um, your earthly nature. Uh, you know, before I came to faith in Christ, the old Jerry, you know, I had a few nice things about me. Sue married me. Um, but I was really self-centered. I, I was an atheist. I swore a lot. I was addicted to pornography. Um, I missed abused alcohol. There's a lot of things that were not good. When I placed my faith in Christ, September 29th, 1974, at 4.30 a.m., things changed. Something new happened in me. Now, I still had an old nature. I still have an old nature today. But I was also given a new nature which is a new capacity to please God. I did not have the capacity to please God before. Now, the old nature likes to rile me up, likes to get me off the course, but the new nature wants to draw me back, and when I rely on God, His life can be lived out through me. Um, Things that belong to my former way of life which is number two, yep. And um, let's go on to the next one, verses eight and nine. Get rid of things that hinder your walk with Christ. We've got more things to get rid of, verse eight. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Let's start with Anger. We've got a list here. Let's start with anger. Anger is a God-given emotion. 
That's probably pretty clear by now. Been a lot of confusion about anger among Christian circles. Anger is a God-given emotion. God has anger. He has righteous anger. Sometimes we have righteous anger when we are angry at things that God is angry with. But it's how we handle our anger that it's a problem. And here, uh, and by the way, Ephesians 4.26 says it's possible to be angry without sinning. But here, Paul is focusing on angered with settled feelings of anger unresolved anger. Here a person is characterized by anger. We know that anger is destructive in so many different ways. We know physiologically that anger produces adrenaline in our system and it eats us from the inside out, builds up stress, and then sometimes we explode. Um, the, the, The amazing thing about anger, I've done this myself and I see others do it. They say, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. It's a Christian way to say, I'm about ready to blow. I'm just frustrated. So, you know, we've got to be willing to call sin, sin when it's us. The next word is rage. Rage is when your anger goes over the top and spills on others, losing one's temper, uh, verbally or physically abusive to others, saying things that dishonor other people or that hurt other people. Rage. Uh, Unresolved anger, by the way, leads to bitterness. Bitterness is when it goes deep and it sort of ferments and boils. And it's just an attitude. It's sin when we have bitterness towards somebody. Anger is to be resolved. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The next one is malice. Malice is an attitude or desire to want to harm, to want to harm for another person, a desire to get even, desire for payback, malice. Slander is making false claims about another. It includes stretching the truth. We don't like to say we slander people, but sometimes we use selective information to share and leave out other selective information, which is a little deceitful. Slander, misrepresenting another's reputation. Filthy language. Um, It's obscene speech. Words that dishonor God. Words that dishonor the sexual relationship. Words that dishonor the human body. Gutter language, sometimes using what we call four-letter words. There's a big discrepancy about what Christians think about that. Wouldn't work if I gave out rules. But I think Christians could do a whole lot better about thinking through Scripture and how it applies to our speech and what kind of jokes we tell um, and what we think is funny. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says that coarse joking should not happen among Christians. Um, You get to determine that. You're accountable before God. Think it through. The last one is lying. Not to lie to uh, one another. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now the idea of the old self, it's the idea of since I've taken it off, Paul says, you come to faith in Christ, now you have to take off one and put on the other. You have to put on something new. And the old, in the words... In Paul's description here of the old self, 
is like an old shirt that's stained and stinky and is rotting. The idea is, take it off. Take it off. You can't put on anything new unless you take it off. Um, So lying is about distorting the truth, denying the truth, being deceitful. And Paul's point is, is that anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language and lying hinder your walk with Christ. He says, get rid of them. You know, a great thing to do would just be to set aside some time, go through this list, and ask God to show you what things you struggle with. And maybe you could just write down a couple things you already know you struggle with. Do you really want to put them to death, or do you want to keep them around? Do you want to keep them on the back burner so you can use them when you want to? Or do you just know God? I don't want to go there. I want to, I want to walk away from these things. I want to get rid of them. I want to put them to death. And I want you to help me. I want your life to be lived through me. And we can just add others. Uh, After lying, what hinders you in your walk with Christ? Put it on your list. What hinders you in your walk with Christ? Um, This is a spiritual battle. And here's the point. Stay in the battle. Um, we Christians often just want an easy fix. We want, we want something just to take care of the problem and so we can go on. And there's no easy fix. It's hard work. It's a real battle. It's an everyday battle. Sometimes things get easier. Sometimes you hit smooth sailing. But it's still there. It's still very real. And you never outgrow your need for Jesus. Okay, last, number three, remember the goal. Be conformed to the image of Christ in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Remember the goal. God wants to conform you and me to be more like Jesus. Uh, And so uh, in verse 10, live in the new capacity of the new self. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And, verse 10, you have put on the new self. Take off the old smelly shirt and put on the new. Uh, Put on the new that you were given. When you placed your faith in Christ, you were given a new nature, a new self, a new capacity. It is what it means to be born again, that new spiritual life. Put on the new It's a capacity to please God. Uh, Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, just as a reminder. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We looked at this passage last week. It's coming back to the spiritual life is about walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. If I walk by the Spirit, I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If I walk by the old nature, the old self, if I walk by the flesh, that's where I'll gratify the desires of my flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. There's a conflict. Just know that. Because you're a follower of Christ, you have a conflict that a non-Christian does not have. 
there's a capacity to honor God, there's a desire to honor God, and there's a Holy Spirit who might bring a little conviction in your life when you get off the course. And then you have this old self who just wants to raise up and say, me, 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 take me, choose me. So it's a real battle. And we should seek to live in the new capacity of the new self. Verse 10, also let God conform you to be like Jesus. Let God conform you to be like Jesus. This comes in verse 10, and where Paul says, which is your uh, new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's God's goal for you, to be renewed in the image of your creator. Who's your creator? Colossians chapter 1. It's Jesus. He created you physically, and he created you in Christ. The new birth, being born again, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let God conform you to be like Jesus. God's goal for you is that he wants to renew your mind into the image of Christ. Um, The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 28 and 29. This is the big picture. So see it as a big picture. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things that happen to you are not good. But God can take all things that happen to you and work them for good. That's his plan. And he wants us to work with him in submission to him. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And that phrase there, God has worked in your life, and God has given you salvation so that you can be conformed to the image of his son. He wants to mold you. He wants to shape you. He wants to put you on the potter's wheel, take out the imperfections so that your character will become more and more like Jesus. He said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, do not lose heart, because it's so easy to lose heart when life is hard. Uh, When we face an illness, when we face a death in the family, a loved one, a friend, Divorce. My, my oldest daughter is facing that right now. Life can be really hard. Um, therefore, we do not lose heart, though out, outwardly we are wasting away. Even when, as we age, the body lets us down, it changes. On the outside, we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day because that's what's important it's God at work in us forming us to be more like Jesus and you know that's like a different goal than than you see every day in our culture there's lots of different goals out there but they're not always to be like Jesus Um, so we come to verse 11 the last verse celebrate equality in the body celebrate Equality in the body. And here Paul says, here, what's he talking about? In Christ. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, 
circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Here is where the, in the body of Christ, the new self is being renewed day by day. Here in Christ, your life that has been hidden with God will one day be revealed with Him in glory. Here in Christ, Paul is saying there's no ethical decision, no religious distinction, no social distinction, no political distinction. Jew or Gentile, an ethical dis- distinction in the old world, in the, in the ancient culture. Jew or Gentile. And the Jews saw themselves as a cut above the rest of the world. The Gentiles were everybody who weren't Jews. And the, and the problem with the Jewish mind, they were, to, they were to live and be a light to the Gentiles. Instead, they began to judge the Gentiles. Here, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised. That's a relig- religious designation. The Jewish people of the Jewish religion were circumcised. Everybody else in the world pretty much was not. And those were classifications. One was superior, one was inferior. Then there was barbarian. Those were, those were, the barbarians were everybody outside of the Jews, the Romans, and the Greek world. And they were viewed as inferior and crude and uncivilized. And the Scythians were the worst of the lot. They were barbarians who were very cruel, and they used to um, scalp their enemies and and remove their skulls. Some even said they drank blood of their enemies from their skulls, but they used their skulls as a drinking vessel, sort of as a, look who we are. And the point is, these were not very popular people anywhere at any time. And Paul is saying, you know what, even a Scythian can become a Christian. And I'm guessing there were Scythians in the church in Colossae. Coming from a barbaric, cruel background. And in Christ, there's no uh, distinction. In Christ, people are put on equal ground. This was an exciting principle to me when I became a follower of Christ. Because it didn't care, nobody cared about my background. Nobody cared about, at least in God didn't. I mean, he forgave me, and I got a fresh start. And I'm now on level playing soil with Christians. And uh, equal footing at the cross. The cross is that event that brings it, humbles us all to we're all sinners, and we're all saved by grace, and not one of us is better than the other. And we all can be forgiven. It doesn't matter who our parents are, what our grades were, uh, what our income level is. It doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an other. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter. There is equality in the body of Christ, and that's really a beautiful thing. So, focus on Christ. Set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated. Embrace his values and his kingdom priorities. Remove things... Um, that blur your focus on Christ, things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Remember the goal. God wants to conform you to the image of Christ. I said already, one of the biggest problems that we face is what we've called sin management. We just try to sin a little bit less, as if that's the goal. 
God says, put it to death, eradicate it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that today you found out that your drinking water was polluted by some nasty microorganisms, and I won't tell you where they came from. Um, Some kind of waste products. Now, what are you going to do if you have polluted drinking water at your house? Are you going to sit back and say, I'm just going to drink this carefully? Are you going to say, no way, we're not touching this. We're not touching this. You would do something about that for the sake of your family. And yet, we sometimes are more concerned about our drinking water than we are our sin patterns. We sort of allow things to go on, and we, some of them aren't just too important, but they just keep going on and on and on. Um, I read about um, exterminators. Exterminators are good people. And um, people, about 25% of people um, who have spiders will seek outside help from a professional exterminator. And I think it's like 20, 27% if they have ants will seek outside help with an exterminator. You know, something like 56% for bed bugs. I'm surprised that wasn't higher that would seek outside help. About 90, about 90% of people will seek help for termites. But that, you know, if we, that's the kind of picture, if you look at our lives and look at our sin patterns, we have some sins that aren't that big a deal and some sins we think are bigger. And we don't, we don't act until we get to the big ones. And Paul says, put them to death. Put them to death. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, uh, for Colossians chapter 3 and the reminders for us to keep our focus on Jesus. We get busy with life and burdened with details, and our lives are full, and sometimes we just let our relationship with you slide. And God, we just want to bring that back to focus today. We want to be reminded to set our minds on things above, to set our hearts after you. To think about kingdom values and kingdom priorities and how they relate to our lives. We want to bring our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That our kingdoms be placed under your authority, our lives and our stuff. God, show us sin that needs to be confessed, sins that we need to seek to eradicate, to make no provision for our flesh. Give us the strength to cope with these day by day, to be honest, and to have our hearts set securely to put them to death. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who will empower us and enable us to live our lives, to live your life through us. In Jesus' name, amen.